0: Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. If you need a pen to take some notes, I hope you'll raise your hand because this is a good message to take notes on. This is on the Good Samaritan. There's an outline by that title or with that title at the top of it inside your bulletin. I hope you'll take it out and uh, fill in some blanks, take some notes as we go along because this is an important parable and we're going through a series on parables where Jesus is explaining how God thinks about things. And so he used ordinary stories ...to help us explain deep heavenly truths. So a parable could be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's really what's going on today when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to ask God to bless our time together. If you need a pen, just raise your hand where the ushers will bring one to you. And uh, we're going to jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, this is an important understanding of how we need to practice our faith. How to be good neighbors. So, Lord, speak and move me out of the way. Say whatever you want said today from this important, important story. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, even if you've heard the the Good Samaritan before, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan before, many times we don't know the context. And this is point A at the top of your outline. It just simply says this. One day, a religious expert asked Jesus an abstract theological question in order to test him. Uh, the religious experts of the day came up to Jesus all the time, and they'd say, good teacher. And they were basically mocking him. They were PhDs, and Jesus didn't have those kind of degrees. They would have thought of him more as, a, um, as somebody who told folk stories or just a country bumpkin. And he had this long, this huge following. Crowds would come around him, and it irritated them to no end that people were much more interested in what Jesus said than what they said. So they would put forth one expert after another and they'd try to stump him about what he thought about taxes paid to Rome or, you know, some theological question of what happens in heaven if two people are married and what will it be like when they get to heaven and all these things. And they would go on and on and each time Jesus would cut to the heart of the matter. He does the same thing here. Here's what happens. This is from Luke 10. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And there was probably, he was probably expecting an answer that he would have given where he would debate the inheritance promise to the sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these things and how it all worked out. And it would have been this long, convoluted answer and all of us would have been fast asleep. Anyway, he asked Jesus this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, Well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5. And love your neighbors yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 18. And he would have just rattled that off because he would have known the whole Old Testament from memory, more than likely. And Jesus said to him, right, do this and you'll live. And if you have a pen, if you'd circle the words, do this, you'll see how important this is. Do this and you'll live. Well, that wasn't much of a debate. I mean, here's somebody looking for scholarly debates and all kinds of interesting insights. And Jesus just says, right, do that. Well, the teacher wanted to justify himself or this expert in the law wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Maybe we can discuss that because that would have been discussed at length also. Leviticus 19, 18, talked about loving your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? Would that extend to people geographically? Would it extend to other people who are at my same level of spiritual understanding, who are part of my biological family? I mean, how far does this go? And he would have wanted to debate all this. And that's when Jesus goes, now that is a good question. He's going to prepare to tell him a story. But right here, let me make a note. Jesus isn't interested in how much we know. He's interested in what we do with what we know. This is why if you come here every week, you'll see lots of life applications inside the outlines. Y'all, God wants us to put our faith in practice, not just be a bunch of religious blowhards who can blah, 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 quote all sorts of things, but not put any of them into practice. God detests that, as a matter of fact. And so Jesus, even when he talked to his disciples the night before he was crucified, he had modeled for them what it meant to serve others by washing their feet. He had told them how important it was to put the needs of others ahead of their own. And he told them this, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Finish it with me out loud, please. If you do them. One more time. If you do them. Notice, this guy came to Jesus to test him for long answers. And Jesus goes, right. You got it right. Do that. Now, if you and I know the right thing to do, we can quote scripture all day long, but the Lord would say, you can stop quoting it now. Do it. If you know the right thing to do, you ought to do it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. Well, watch out because we're going to be told the right thing to do here. Okay. And sometimes doing the right thing is hard. And that's why we'd like to find an excuse And find an argument where I can be excused from doing the very thing I know I need to be doing. You'll see how this plays out because uh, what's funny is the guy comes to test Jesus and Jesus tells him a story and actually ends up testing him. Point B Jesus answered this guy by telling him a parable about a good Samaritan. So this is Jesus' answer to what must I do and who is my neighbor? Now, that is a good question. Now, I want to remind us again, a parable is a short story that explains spiritual truth by using everyday objects and relationships. I'll have to explain a couple of things to us that wouldn't be immediately clear, but to everybody who's listening to this story, they would have understood every single detail of this story. It would have been as common as could possibly be. So Jesus replied with a story. This is from Luke 10. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and was attacked by bandits, Let me stop right there. If you look right below that paragraph, you'll see a note. The road to Jericho from Jerusalem would be equivalent to the bad part of town. Uh, My wife and I went to Israel a number of years ago. This is a winding road. It goes through some very narrow caverns uh, that the road was cut right through. There are a million places where bandits could hide out. This is a place where people had been robbed and beaten, mugged. Uh, They had been killed. Uh, for their possessions. Many times, you never traveled this route alone. This would be like somebody walking through the bad part of town after dark. So that's the story. That's the setting anyway. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Now, a parable, again, is you take something ordinary, and you use it to illustrate a heavenly reality that we wouldn't know, but all the people in Jesus' audience would have known that. The bandits stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, they left him half dead beside the road. Beside the road, By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw a man lying there, he crossed over the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, to make that relate to us again, this would be a pastor comes along and walks by on the other side of the road, and then a temple assistant would be like a student minister who would have... Told him jokes or tried to buy him a Coke or something. I don't know what the, I don't know what student ministers do. Anyway, so uh, that's a joke on our student minister and nobody laughed. Anyway, okay, so, uh, but no, but the idea here is you got two full time church workers in our vernacular, two full time ministers, one a pastor and one uh, so a staff person, and they didn't, they didn't do anything. And so the people go, wow. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, I've got to stop here. Also in your note, it says, Samaritan does not equal good. Despised Samaritan was exactly right. So we call it the story of the good Samaritan, because we know how it turns out. But nobody, when Jesus said this, would have assumed that the Samaritan would do anything good. Samaritans were people who Uh, When the northern kingdom, after there had been a civil war in Israel's past, it broke into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Well, the people in the northern kingdom engaged in all kinds of idolatry. Eventually, the Assyrians came and conquered them and hauled most of them away, resettled the place with uh, the few remaining people left, intermarried with some of the people that were resettling the place. And so they took all of their idolatrous beliefs and even syncretized some other beliefs. They intermarried with people from other nations, and so their race wasn't pure, their religion wasn't pure, they were considered a cult, they would have been considered an inferior race. So everything that could be wrong with a Samaritan was wrong with them. In fact, you have the story of the woman at the well where Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, and she is stunned, and she goes, why are you a Jew even talking to me? Because it was very common to treat a Samaritan woman by Jewish people to to treat her as a non-person. Like to even ignore that she's there. And so when Jesus says, I don't even know if there's a comparison to a people group in America that we would detest this much. And so here's this Samaritan in the story, and the crowd would have gasped. Why would you choose this person in the story? But the full time pastor, the full time staff person, They walked by, and along comes a despised Samaritan. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed out the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. And if you'd circle, go and do. I mean, again, this isn't a big abstract theological question. Which one was most neighborly? Well, this wasn't a debate. The same information, the same setting was available to the pastor, the staff person, to use our vernacular again, to the priest and the Levite, as well as to the Samaritan. They all had the same information, but only one of them chose to do something about it. He bandaged the guy's wounds, put him on his donkey, which would be to load him in his car, drive him to a hotel where he could rest. When he had to leave for business, he said, look, I'm going to pay for the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, so he'll have time to recuperate. If it runs higher than that, here's my credit card, put it on my account. Now this is incredible. And the whole crowd would have become completely silent because this was the least likely person to be neighborly. There's a life application for you and me. God doesn't want us calculating if others are neighbors or non-neighbors. He just wants us to be good neighbors to everyone. This is something we are to do, not debate. The wrong question is, who is my neighbor? The right question is, how do I do it? And so if you open your outline you'll see four things we can all do to become good neighbors. And so if you're asking, well, John, what can I do? Great question. Here are four things we can all do. First of all, you and I can think of others first. We can think of others first. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians 2. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to hang on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, you want to know what it's like to be a servant? Well, look at Jesus. Man, putting other people's needs first. He could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come down and rescue us. But he did, because he put our needs ahead of his own. We couldn't pay the penalty for our sins, and so he became a human, but not only a human, but a man who died on a cross between two thieves, falsely accused of sins he never committed. I've committed plenty, and so have you, yet Jesus, who never committed sins, died in our place. Amazing. And one of the things we have to understand is that's what a good neighbor does. That Samaritan, he had a business trip to go on. That's why he left the guy at the inn. He paid the innkeeper to take care of him. This was something he hadn't planned on, but he put the other man's needs first. And if you and I will do this, we will find a whole other level, a whole other meaning to life. So it's something that we need to remember. It's a simple little statement. You can write this in the margin. It's not about me. It's not about me. Would you say that with me, please? It's not about me. One more time. It's not about me. And if you turn to the person next to you, say, It's not about you either. Would you do that? It's not about you either. It's not. What's not? The meaning of life. Happiness. The more we become selfish and self centered, the more disappointing life is. The minute we start serving others, the more interesting and amazing life can be because God made us this way to love each other and this is what he wants but we have to put the needs of others first Matthew seven twelve, Jesus said do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you this is the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets we call it the golden rule because it's that rule that supersedes all others Jesus said you want to summarize everything on how do you treat each other well do to others what you'd want them to do to you do I want you to steal my stuff? No. Well, then don't steal other people's stuff. Do you want people to be kind to you? Well, then be kind to them. Oh. But again, that's something we can do. I mean, you even see this in marriage vows. When we ask people to love and cherish each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, all that stuff. The reason it comes in that way we ask them to take vows is because vows are about things we can actually do. We have to choose this though. We don't ask people to make marriage vows about their feelings if they feel like it. I mean, can you imagine in a marriage vow? I promise for the next 50 years, I'll get chill bumps every time you walk in the room. I mean, good luck with that, okay? Good luck with that. It doesn't work that way in a real marriage. In a real marriage, we make vows for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. The reason why is because we know there's going to be times when we don't feel all gooey and lovey and... Wonderful, except with you, darling. My wife's sitting here, and I do feel that way for her every time. So there we go. Okay. No, but she knows I don't. I mean, that's not possible. But you know what I can do? I can choose to put her needs ahead of my own. I can choose to treat her the way I'd want her to treat me. So can you. These are things we can all do. That Samaritan chose to help someone in a time of need. That's what I would want somebody to do for me. The priest and the Levite missed the opportunity. And by the way, ministry opportunities like that often look like interruptions. Did you know that? Ministry opportunities often look like interruptions. The Samaritan did not set out to go and put somebody up in an inn and pay for their expenses. That was not his, on his agenda that day. The needs that you and I come across this week might very well look like interruptions. Will you and I be willing to put other people's needs first and allow that interruption to be something we can see as a service opportunity, a ministry opportunity? Point two, the second thing we can do, we can think of others first, we can also be kind. Be kind. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I mean, again, this is something we can choose to do. That's why it says we can get rid of those things. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's a choice I'm going to have to make. Well, John, what do you mean by being kind? Well, here are a couple of scriptures that unpack this for us. Romans 16, 16, uh, Paul writes this, greet each other in Christian love. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. It's hard to have a relationship with someone that you don't greet. We have a whole industry called the greeting card industry. And you might go, well, I don't know if there's any value to that. Oh, yeah, there is. When you get a card from somebody that's a just thinking of you card, and they write in there, I'm just thinking of you. I know what you've been through lately. In fact, I prayed for you, and there's a little scripture. Or you get an email from somebody that says, just want to send you a word of encouragement. You know, when I get words of encouragement like that in an email, it means the world to me. You know how much it means to me? The same as it means to you when you get one. There are people sometimes that are having a hard day, and you know what turns their whole day around? A friend will pick up the phone and call them and say, Hey, I prayed for you today. I know you're going through a tough time. Just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. That's all. And it could be just a little voicemail, change their whole day. It's a greeting. Thinking of you. Love you. Bye. A farewell greeting. When you and I put these things into action, it's an act of kindness. Some of you right now know someone that you could write a note to. They're going through a really hard time. They just lost a loved one, they just lost their job. Maybe a family pet they've had for 15 years died. And you can give them a kind word, just thinking of you. It's kindness. Here's another one, Romans 12, 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And you can underline practice hospitality. That's where I'm going with this. That's a way to show kindness. What's hospitality? I'll tell you. I mean, when I brought a friend home from school to my mom's house, We'd be there out on our farm and other things, and she'd ask this friend of mine, are you staying for dinner? If they said yeah, she'd put another place at the table. What was he going to eat? Whatever we were having. That's hospitality. It's just making space and time for someone else. Do not confuse hospitality with entertaining. A lot of times we say, well, I can't have someone over because I have to entertain. We have to use the best china, the stuff that we hardly ever pull out of the china cabinet. And we'll have to cook all this fancy food. And we have to clean the house completely, top to bottom. And I don't have time for that. So no, we can't have somebody come over. Yet the truth is, there are people that are good friends or family. And if they stop by you, come on in. And you say, well, sorry we didn't pick up the house for you. We didn't know you were coming by. That's all right. Grab a seat and put an extra place at the table. Join us for dinner. And you're glad when they do. And when somebody else does it for you and they say, hey, the milk's in the fridge, um, Go help yourself to anything you find in the pantry. We love it. I mean, right? That's hospitality. And you know what it means to the world to people to know that there are friends like that, people who will treat them like family. Just invite them in. I had the bar set really high for me for a standard hospitality a number of years ago on a mission trip to Mexico. Um went and stayed at a man's house, host family, it was a uh, single guy, and um, he had a small house, and I he, I got to I arrived there late at night, and he showed me where uh, my bedroom was, where the bed was, and the bathroom and things, and he wished me good night, and I went to bed, and I remember I was closing the door, and he walked, there was a little hallway in his house, he walked across, and opened a door on the other side, and went to bed, um, and the next morning, the Missionary that we were working with there said, Well, how'd you sleep, John? I said, I slept great. You know, I was really tired and was glad to get to bed. And he said, Well, you know, so you got to talk to your host. I said, Not much. I went to bed in my bedroom. He went, you know, to bed in his, I guess. And he goes, He only has one bedroom. What are you talking about? And so that night when I got back to his house, I was going to stay there again. I went to the doorway across the hall and opened it up, and it was a little storage closet with a water heater and a bunch of supplies and he had a sleeping bag on a cement floor. He gave me his bed. I now have a high water mark for hospitality. Just making time and space. He'd become a Christian a few years before and he was so glad there was a Christian from America that would stay in his home. I mean, he was kind. It's an important note on this. Good neighbors take initiative. Well, I'll be kind to them if they're kind to me. Well, I'll greet them if they greet me. Mm -mm. No. If I'm a good neighbor, that's Samaritan. He went and took care of this man because the man needed help. If you and I are going to practice neighborliness the way that we're talking about here in the story of the Good Samaritan, well, that means we go first. So we can think of others first. We can be kind. Thirdly, we can serve others and serve them. You see how these all overlap, but I'm just kind of expanding on a general theme here. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Jesus is talking to his disciples here who've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For even as the son of man, and Jesus is speaking about himself here, for even I came not to be served, but to serve others and to, give, and to give my life as a ransom for many. The son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He took the initiative. He went first. All the stuff we're talking about, he found a meaningful way to serve us in a way we never could have been, had our sins taken care of by anyone else. Titus 3.14, Paul wrote these words, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Urgent needs. And if you'd circle those words, urgent needs. How can I serve someone? By meeting their urgent needs. Sometimes the urgent need is just someone to talk to, and I'm going to have to clear part of my schedule in order for that to happen. Hey, can I talk to you? I'm really desperate, and I wanted to watch a game that night on TV sure, come on over. I'll skip the game because this is an urgent need. Could be that someone needs help moving. I, I got to get out of my, my lease is up and I've got to move. And then this friend of mine was going to help me. was not going to help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll help. And would that come to mind? That's an urgent need. The Samaritan came along. There was a guy half dead, bleeding. He didn't sit there and wonder what to do. He didn't pass by on the other side. He bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, and took him to an inn. It was the right thing to do. Who was the neighbor? That guy. And elsewhere, in Matthew 5, Jesus even took the serving business to a whole new level. Because in that note there, it says this. It reminds us that Jesus wants us to serve people That we don't like. I mean, that's what the crowd would have thought about the Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. They were despised. It would have been easy for the Samaritan to be the one who walked on by. I mean, this Jewish guy probably wouldn't have even given him the time of day. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. I mean, the way we'd say it is there's honor among thieves. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so if I'm going to be a good neighbor... I need to serve people and be kind to them, even if they don't repay me. And we have no idea how the man who was beaten responded to the Samaritan. We don't even know if he even said thank you. But the Samaritan made up his mind that he was going to be a good neighbor no matter what. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. If you understand how this works, then you understand how God thinks about things in heaven. That's a parable. And you can see how it applies to all of us, not just the people that Jesus originally told us to. We can serve others. We can be kind. We can put others first. And fourthly, we can invest in others. We can invest in them. I mean, that was an investment to leave somebody behind, to leave your credit card number if the tab runs higher, put it on my bill. You've heard me teach things that have been confronted Confirmed by many reliable witnesses, Paul wrote to Timothy. Now teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This isn't just being kind on one instance. This is meeting with someone on a repeated, in a repeated fashion in order to teach them. Paul to Titus. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what's good. Then they can train the younger women to love, the husband, love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. I mean, older women teach the younger women. Older men teach the younger men. Train them how to be good husbands, good fathers, good moms, good wives. How are they going to learn it if nobody teaches them? How is it going to happen? Well, this is something we can do. First Thessalonians 5.11, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you already are doing. I mean, this is a way we can invest in people. <coughs> we can build them up. Hey, I see that you have some skills. Some of us have people like this. We can think about it right away. There was a coach. There was a teacher. Might have been one of your parents. Could have been an aunt or an uncle. Somebody who believed in you could be an employer that said, I think you've got some real potential. I'm going to help you go a little higher. And you'd be forever grateful for them. You could talk about them for 30 minutes. You go, let me tell you what they did for me. Changed my whole life. You know what a good neighbor would do? A good neighbor would say, I could do that for someone else. I could do that for my nephew. I could do that for a kid on my team. I could do that for a guy who lives down the street or a good friend. The question is, are we willing to invest? These things are going to take time. They're going to take resources. Hospitality means clearing my calendar. Clearing enough space that somebody could sit at the table. Are we willing to do it? These things are a choice. So, all the way back to the beginning, one day a religious expert comes to Jesus with an abstract theological question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what do you read the Bible as saying? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good, do that. Well, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you a story. By the time he finished the story, it was pretty clear that the Samaritan was the one who had served the most. He put the needs of the wounded man first. He was kind. He served him. He invested in him. And Jesus said, good. Go do that. You know what he would tell us today? Now that you know these things, blessed are you if... We do them. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for these stories. They are simple stories, but boy, do they pack a punch. And Father, I thank you that today you've challenged us about serving, about thinking of others first, about meeting needs, urgent needs, about freeing up resources and space and time so we actually can minister to people when they come along and need our help. And Lord, today we just ask that you would do business in our hearts and that you remind us that you love us and you gave everything for us. And Lord, that you'd enable us then to have the power to pay it forward and do that for others. If the Lord spoke to you about something this morning, about hospitality or about kindness about serving or investing in someone and you have a name or at least a picture in your head of a fellow student or a coworker, or a relative or a friend would you pray right now and say god would you give me the strength to carry that out would you show me what to do i want to be a good neighbor i don't want to just talk a good game this is not abstract theology lord i want to obey help me obey